Welcome to the Redemption Church Podcast. We exist to become witnesses to God's new creation so that every man, woman, and child has a daily encounter with Jesus. We believe that as a family of servant missionaries, we are empowered to participate in God's story because of the good news that King Jesus is making all things new. Good morning, church. We'll be continuing in our Advent series this morning, which is called The Arrival of the King. For those who don't know what Advent means, that is what Advent refers to, the arrival, the coming of Jesus the King. And for us here at Redemption, we are very clear that we look both back to the first arrival, but we are now living in between the first and the second advent of Jesus the King. In our series we're looking at, The Arrival of the King, we started last week by looking at the many shocking and even threatening ways that Christmas, the arrival of Jesus, comes into our lives. We often just get wrapped up in the lights and the little baby in the manger, and how great and glorious Christmas is, but Christmas, in one sense, is very threatening. Christmas, in one sense, is very offensive, because it is actually showing us how dark we are and how much we need the light of Jesus to break in. So today, what we're going to do is we're going to look at, quote, the Christmas story, the narrative of Jesus coming, the announcement of Jesus coming, but we're going to look at it specifically from Mary's perspective. Mary, the mother of Jesus, the one to whom an angel appears. That's what the passage we're going to be looking at. You can open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. And I'm going to invite Ray and Donna Larkin. They're going to come and they're going to read a lengthy section of this chapter for us, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came, into, came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give him Give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. 
for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me, that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And Mary said, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will, be called, will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. Thank you both very much. Church, let's pray. Our gracious Father, our hearts are filled with the remembrance of your mercy to us today. As we have already spent time in song declaring truths about Jesus as if we have reviewed a year of your faithfulness and your mercy towards us as a church. And then as we now go to your word to us, God, we are in awe of your kindness to us, your mercy, your forgiveness to us. And I pray, God, that right now as we look at this passage, that our hearts would be filled with joy like Mary, that you would come to those like us, us in our lowly estate, us in our weakness, our darkness, our fear, our lack. And yet you are the God who is a provider. You are the God who invites us to call you Father. You've shown us your love and commitment to us because of Jesus, so even now, as we look at this passage, as we look at this messenger coming to Mary, would we see in Mary a picture of faith? And would our hearts all this morning, every man, woman, child, those of us who have followed Jesus for years, those of us who maybe are new to following Jesus, those of us who maybe don't even know if we do follow Jesus, would you, Jesus, by your spirit, warm our affections afresh today? 
Jesus' name, amen. Thank you both again for reading that lengthy passage for us. It's a beautiful passage. I love hearing that passage read. So last week we looked at the reality of light breaking into darkness and how Jesus himself had to step into our darkness to bring us back into his story. We ended last week by showing how there is nothing you can do to bring the light in except receive it. There's no work, there's no effort, there's nothing you contribute. You simply receive the grace of this king. And so today, we wanna press into that a little bit more, but like I already alluded to, we want to look at how Mary's own encounter with this announcement of the arrival, that she actually shows us what a responsive, obedient faith looks like as it relates to the coming of the king. So first off, what we want to look at is that Mary responds with what I want to call a growing and a thoughtful faith. Look at how Mary at first reacts to this angel coming to her. Does she just dumbly stand there and say, okay, whatever you say, this amazing messenger of God shows up and she just go, okay, cool, I'm in. No, she is troubled. She asks questions. She tries to add all of it up and see, does this really make sense? Mary is very rational in her response. But we often think faith is not supposed to be rational. Faith is just, you just blindly trust God, right? Mary is showing us that faith is not dumb, but faith as a response actually is rational. And if we're honest, if I'm honest, we often think people in the ancient days were kind of dumb. They weren't smart like us, right? They weren't advanced. We're, we're very critical thinkers. And back then, I mean, they believed in all kinds of weird stuff. We often wrongly think that about ancient cultures. Their IQ wasn't as developed as ours. We're better at asking questions and discerning things. Yeah, if you think that, like I often think, then yeah, we are wrongly thinking about people of that time, especially because the scripture shows the questioning, the perplexed nature of the arrival of God coming. So what we're seeing with Mary is the need for good questions, the need for honest inquiry, the need to be open about doubts and skepticism, about, yes, the arrival of God, but also about our faith in general. And so I just want to say that if you are here with us today, and maybe you are doubting, maybe you do have questions, maybe you do feel like, maybe you've even followed Jesus a while, and you are in a season of doubt, of not really knowing how to make sense of things. Not only are we glad you're here, but I think this Advent season is also an invitation to you and to your doubts. Doubt in scripture is very nuanced. Often we think doubt is just bad and it's a sign that we're not having faith, but doubt is actually a sign that we are fighting for faith. Some doubt leads to seeking answers. Some doubt is a defense against answers that we have. So I would just ask you this morning, as you even maybe even in this Advent season, this season of the light breaking into the dark, where are your doubts? The doubts about what God is doing, the doubts about why he is or isn't doing what you thought he was supposed to be doing. What we see though in Mary is that she responds 
with a thoughtful faith. She's asking questions like, how could this be? This doesn't make sense. But then notice her faith grows throughout even this passage. Her faith, you could say, grew in stages. I want you to think about that. Her faith grows in stages. Because if we are honest, that's how our faith grows too. Some of us do have a radical conversion moment where we see and encounter the God of the scriptures, the God who is alive and at work in the world, and we are filled with faith and we believe. That's some people's story. And we often look at those people and say, man, I wish I had a story like that. Others, if you're maybe more like me, you grew up more nurtured in the faith. You've slowly come to believe increasingly over time. You've walked through hard seasons of feeling like you have no faith. Our faith grows in stages. And I want to just say kind of an aside on this, just like in the life of following Jesus, this is really critical for us to understand that faith grows in stages. Because if you don't realize that, you will simply be comparing your faith journey to everyone around you and either be giving yourself a check or a fail based on how you see other people are doing. I heard one author say it is deadly and dangerous to standardize the Christian journey of faith. There is no one faith journey that we are called to follow. And often, this is really critical for us to understand because if you don't recognize that different people are in different stages of their faith journey, their faith journey might not look like yours. How are you going to interact if someone's journey doesn't look like yours? You'll either think, I suck, I wish I was like them, or look at them over there, oh my gosh, do, do they even love God? You will judge, you will be critical. So we need to recognize this church that faith grows in stages because we don't want to foolishly think that our experience is the norm. It's not true. Because there's also the side that for some people, because you are comparing so much, you feel crippled. Because your faith journey doesn't look like somebody else's. Oh, these people in my MC, they have so much faith. I'll never be like them. I'm just over here, and I just really stink at following Jesus, I guess. Do you see how that is so crippling to people? And so many are struggling in their faith because they're just looking at everybody else's journey, and they're invalidating their own. So friends, the faith journey is stages. We grow in different stages, and we even see that in Mary. Her faith comes gradually. She starts by saying, this is some pretty crazy stuff this angel is showing up and saying. Then she ends with, I can surrender and trust this. But why? Why is our faith journey so different? Why are there so many different paths? It's because the nature of faith is when we realize that we are acted upon by something outside of us. You realize that we all have different faith journeys because when you actually begin to put your trust in Jesus, you realize something outside of me is acting upon me, is revealing himself to me, is actually breaking into my world. This is another of the shocking things about Advent, about the arrival of God that in one sense should viscerally confront us, that we are being acted upon by something outside of us. So then, how are we to respond? Well, we see this with Mary, that secondly, she responds 
with this growing faith, but she also responds in surprise and wonder. And you might be thinking, well, those aren't very like biblical words. Like those words aren't in the Bible. What are you talking about? I would say that surprise, wonder, and even curiosity is what Mary is embodying And those same words are how we are to approach the Advent season. Look at Mary's response. Look at verses 46, 47, and then through the rest of that passage. She is responding in awe and wonder. Mary is not saying, I'm so glad God found me. He's going to come and help me with my life now. God's going to help me reach all my goals and career aspirations now that I'm on God's team. No, Mary is amazed that God would come for someone like her. That this amazing announcement could come for her. That God has picked her and chosen her to be part of his redemptive plan. Do you see? Do you see that that mark of surprise of like, wait a minute, like, this doesn't make sense. Why would he pick me? I know who I am. I know my weakness. I know my lack of faith. I know my inabilities. On this note of surprise and shock, which I would say is actually the way the Christian life is to be embodied, this continual, of, this continual movement of, wait a minute, how could God come for me? Tim Keller writes this. I would go so far as to say that this perennial note of surprise is a mark of anyone who understands the essence of the gospel. What is Christianity? If you think Christianity is mainly going to church, believing a certain creed, living a certain life, then there will be no note of surprise, wonder about the fact that you are a believer. If someone asks you, are you a Christian? You'll say, of course I am. It's hard work, but I'm doing it. Why would you ask? Christianity, in that view, is something done by you. So there's no astonishment about the fact that you are a Christian. However, if Christianity is something done for you and to you, remember we talked about being acted upon by something outside of you, then there's this constant note of surprise and wonder. I would encourage you to chew on that quote. If you want, I can send this to you later. And if that doesn't describe you at all, I would encourage you to ask the Spirit to bring that home. To bring that home. To drive you to your knees in awe and amazement that Jesus would come for you. So we see Mary responding, surprise, wonder, this curiosity. But then Mary also, third, she responds with surrender. Mary takes this posture in light of seeing what God has done, what he's calling her to. She takes a posture of surrender, obedience and surrender. She knows that she belongs to God, which means that she can trust him. So we don't really know what this means, uncompromising surrender, like that Mary is fully giving herself to God. Like, what does that mean? What does that look like in our everyday life? Well, I have two questions I want us to chew on to help us assess, do we have real, genuine surrender in God? Here's two questions. Are you willing to take God at his word? Are you willing to take him at his word? Two, 
Are you willing to trust in God in anything he sends into your life, whether you like it or not? If you're like me, it's like, okay, no. I, I often don't. I know I regularly struggle with these questions. I struggle to believe that God will do what he says, that he will be good in all things, even if I cannot understand. But we often think, oh, I struggle because I just don't have enough faith. I struggle because I'm just weak. No, we often struggle to believe and answer these questions in the positive because we forget who Jesus is. We forget who it is who is asking us to surrender to him. We forget that the baby born in a livestock feeding trough is the same one who holds the galaxies in existence. That's why we can't answer those questions, because we forget that it is that kind of person who is saying, can you take me at my word? Can you trust me? Hebrews 1, 13 says, he holds all things together. How? By the word of his power. That kind of person is saying to us, can you trust me? Let's just take a minute and try to do business with holding all things together by the word of his power. We often think, well, this world, right? You know, Earth, you know, our little globe. No, no, that's saying the galaxies that we don't even know about, he is holding together by the word of his power. Let's, let's put things in proportion here. I've got a quote that I'm going to read for us about the reality of what Jesus is doing. If the distance between the Earth and the sun, which is 93 million miles, which... That right there just blows our brain. That's like right here in our little galaxy. Re say that was represented by a sheet of paper, the, th the thinness of a sheet of paper, which is very, very thin. But say that is 93 million miles, thinness of paper. So 93 million right here. Then the distance from the earth to the nearest star would be a stack of papers 70 feet high. Okay, that's just the closest star. The diameter of our Milky Way, the galaxy that we live in, live in, <laughs> would be a stack of paper over 300 miles high. But keep in mind that there are more galaxies in the universe than we can number. There are more, it seems, than dust specks in the air or grains of sand on the seashores. Now, if Jesus holds all this together with just the word of his power, is he the kind of person that you would just say, Sure, God, God's on my side. He's going to help me with my life. See, the kind of person you would just think, oh, he's just my assistant. He just helps me. This picture is the, uh, I'm not some scientist, just so you know. I had to Google all this extensively. This is a picture of what's called the Carina Nebula. It's a section of our Milky Way galaxy. It's 7,500 light years away. And Jesus is holding that by the word of his power. So now, let's go back to the two questions we asked. If Jesus holds all of this together by the word of his power, can we trust him? Or are we just going to treat Jesus like he's our butler who 
gives us what we want, who keeps all the really bad stuff out of our life. Friends, when we see not only is this the kind of power he has, but then the lengths that he would go to demonstrate his love for us, that shows us that we can surrender to him. Mary, in this passage, responds in surrender because she remembers who God is. In studying this again, even this week, like, I was just blown away. Look at verses 54 and 55. She says, he, God, has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. Mary here is alluding to Abraham, which isn't just saying, oh, my great, 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 great grandfather. No, Mary is positioning herself in the narrative of what God is doing in the world. She is, as we often say here at Redemption, she is finding her place in the story. Mary's song, because this section of verses is the song, the response of Mary, happens because she also has faith like Abraham. Do you guys remember Abraham? We're going to do a quick little step back into the Old Testament. Well, remember Abraham? He was the one who God spoke to, called him into, God called him into his story, and God said to Abraham, I want you to go out to a new land. I want you to go to a place that I'm not even going to tell you exactly yet where you're going, but through you, Abraham, the whole world will receive salvation. The whole world will receive blessing from God himself because of your act of faith, Abraham. Leave your job, leave what's comfortable, and go walk into the wilderness. Does anyone feel like God's maybe been saying something like that to you lately? Like, God, I don't know what you're doing. God, this feels like a wilderness. God, you picked me up from my home or from my roots, maybe some of us physically, like actually we've moved. You're in a new season, new relationships, new hardships, and you are now saying, I didn't realize how nice that was, but now I feel like I am in the wilderness. Maybe it's health. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's relational. Maybe there's tension in your family. Do you feel like Abraham saying, okay, God, where, where are we going? And is God saying to you like Abraham, I'll get back to you on that. Hebrews 11, verse 8, is an amazing, the whole book of Hebrews is amazing, but Hebrews 11, verse 8 says, By faith Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive, later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. This isn't Abraham saying, oh, well, we'll figure this out later. No. That would be carelessness. That's not what Abraham is saying here. Abraham is saying, God, I don't know what in the world you are doing. So this is going to be on you, God, to figure this out. This is going to be on you, God, to show me where we are going. Mary, like Abraham, maybe like us today, we had plans for our life. We knew, man, this is where things are going. For Mary... Maybe her perceived journey was going to be get married to, you know, that cute carpenter in town. 
maybe settle into a new little clay house, help Joseph with the business, have some kids, have the family living near us. But then God says, no, Mary, I have other plans for you. So even in that church, do you feel like God is wrecking your plans right now? Is God wrecking your plans for what you thought life was supposed to be right now? Are you able to see that like Abraham, like Mary, that God actually, instead of wrecking your plans, might actually be calling you to trust and surrender even when you cannot yet see where he's sending you. Friends, this is what it means to put our faith in Jesus, whether for it's the first time or for the millionth time. For me, this is like the 50th time today I've had to put my faith in Jesus. Following Jesus, this means that following Jesus is not a negotiation. It's not a, God, I do this, and then you do this for me. That's what we would call religion, a works-based approach to God. No, following Jesus is not a I check in when it's convenient for me type thing. No, following Jesus is a surrender. It means you recognize that you are not the driver of your life. So how does all of this translate into our life right now, here, 2023, in this Advent season? Well, friends, if, if we are those who are seeking to put our rest, our hope, our loyalty, our faith allegiance into Jesus, then that means you know God is for you. That means that you can know and experience his love and his generosity and his provision. It means that you know that God is moving towards you continually in his grace. But... What is our real anchor, though, for trust? Is it just some vague sense that, well, I know all the songs say God's faithful. I know he made the universe, so he must be faithful, right? I know he's always taking care of his people. Like, you know, kind of like some vague sense of faith. Like, well, he's going to be faithful, right? I can trust him, right? No, our real anchor of faith, of how do we ultimately know we can surrender and have faith in God, is because of the reason for the arrival. We can know we can have faith and surrender because of what Jesus came to do. As we celebrate the arrival, the advent, the coming of Jesus, we know God is faithful because of why Jesus came. Jesus came to embody Mary's own words of surrender. Mary in Luke 138 makes it clear what Jesus is also going to say later on. Not my will, but your will. Think about this. Mary, the mother of Jesus, in this passage, is offering up her body to God, saying, God, use me, my life, my journey, my body for what you want in your story. And just a few years later, Jesus would offer up his body, but actually for us. When he surrendered to the Father's will and went to the cross to be tortured and die so that we could forever be restored to God. 
Friends, that is why we can trust God when we see what God has done for us in Jesus. And if you actually can grab hold of that as you read the logic and flow of the New Testament, that is always the anchor for why can we trust God? Not just because of some vague sense that he's faithful, but because we see what God has done for us in Jesus. This is why we can trust him, church. We can trust God because in Jesus, we see someone who has already surrendered to God on our behalf while fully knowing the risk because he was that committed to us. And he did that, church, so that we could now figure out who we are as this new humanity in Jesus and pick up our place, our role in the story. So, as we go to close in this season of life that you're in, season that we're in of it's dark, but we see that light is breaking in. This season, as we are now one week closer to Christmas, just want to ask you some questions as we go, and uh, the band can come up because we're going to close with a song in just a second. Just want to ask you, in what areas are you tempted to give up on trusting God? In what areas do you feel you've been waiting too long and you want to give up? Waiting for a spouse, maybe. Waiting for a child. Waiting for a change in circumstances. Is it possible that in these very things that God is actually, like with Mary, working his greatness and his glory deeper and deeper into your soul? And that he's actually going to shock and surprise you with what he's going to do. Are you, last question, are you open to perennially being surprised at what he might be doing in your life. This type of curiosity, this type of surprise is what I think the spirit of Jesus is wanting to do in us as a church as we now draw one week closer to celebrating Christmas. So if you all want to stand, I'm going to close us in prayer and then we'll go into singing closing song. Jesus, we do... want to offer up our lives, our bodies to you. And yet, Lord, we likewise recognize that there is a war within us. We want to obey, and yet we are afraid. We want to submit, and yet we are holding on to so many other things. So God, would you show us Jesus and then would our hearts be changed? Would you show us Jesus, the one who broke into the darkness, who was so deeply committed to us that he would go to the cross, and who now is not just resurrected, but is reigning now over all things? Would you help us to see this Jesus? And then would we say, okay, yeah, I, I can surrender. Someone like that, that powerful, and yet that full of love, that all-knowing, all-wise, and yet so he so intimately wants to know me, even in the midst of my weakness, would we see that kind of Jesus and say, yes, God, we can trust. Yes, God, we can trust, even in this Advent season, even when life around us seems chaotic and out of whack and out of joint. Would you, Jesus, show us? Here's how you can trust me. For some of us here today, God, would you even show us what the one next step of faith would be? 
that we don't need to jump all the way to the end of what it's supposed to look like. What is the next thing I'm supposed to do today to obey Jesus? Is it to repent of sin, maybe? Is it to take a step of faith towards someone in a relationship? Is it to be open to a difficult season of life and instead of complaining about it, to actually say, God, help me rejoice and celebrate in what you are doing. God, I ask, Spirit, that you would show each of us here, every man, woman, and child here, what our next step of faith would look like. And even now, as we go to sing a closing song, would we be met with surprise and curiosity and wonder at you, Jesus, coming for us? I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Redemption Church Podcast. To learn more about our kingdom ministry located in Chesapeake, Virginia, visit weareredemption.org.